Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Love it now, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, if you're visiting, you should know that we, our approach here is to preach uh, consecutive expository sermons. That is to say, we, we follow the, <coughs> the books of the Bible, and we, we select a, a portion. As we work through, we read it, and we explain it as best we know how, and then by God's help, we will try to make sense how this applies to you <coughs> in your life. The doctrine uh, is wonderful, and it's true, and it's light to our souls. Until, though, that light finds expression in our lives, uh, we are not through with the work that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has for us in giving us the Scripture. All has to meet in practical application, and I hope as your minister I'll help you with some of the general applications of the text. Just a few. So let's uh, open to chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, and begin. Our text will be verses 20 through 28. This is now the word of our Lord. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him, to Jesus, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? Are you able to to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Now when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first, you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant and infallible word. Let's pray. Lord, in this passage, you address address us about a very critical aspect of our our defect. This, This desire, this longing and uh, drive that we have to to assume greatness for ourselves. <clears throat> and Lord, we have you as the example of greatness. We, Lord, would please you in every way, so teach us what true greatness is. And teach us, Lord, how we might please you in every way and resemble you in every way. For this is our heart's desire. We pray your assistance in this sermon. Through Jesus, amen. Please be seated. One of the things that's really marvelous as you read through the scriptures is sometimes uh, one section of scripture will will teach one truth and then a a counterbalance, a very essential counterbalance will be taught in a following section. Not that the counterbalance is an opposite, but it just fills in something of the teaching, the doctrine in its fullness that would not be there alone if you only address one passage. I say this because we had just finished uh, uh, reading and preaching about the, uh, the laborers in the vineyard. And in that parable, the Lord seems to be saying that, well, the Lord is calling his workers into this vineyard, and they come at all hours of the day, some early to work, some midday, and some later, but they all receive the same wage. Uh, to some there of the, of the laborers, when they found out that that was the arrangement, of course they signed up and they worked, but then later they found out, wait a minute, you, you gave the early workers the same wages as you did the latter. The latter people, the, the workers in the vineyard got the same wages. They worked far, far less. Well, that's up to the Lord of the vineyard to decide what he wants to do, but everyone agreed that that was the deal. You might gain from that passage that uh, everyone has an equal standing 
uh, and an equal greatness and an equal position when it comes to the Lord and uh, uh, the rewards for service. But actually what, that's, what the vineyard is saying is that the common reward, there's a, there's a great and very important common wage, and that is salvation. Well, actually, what I mentioned in the preaching is the great and common salvation is the Lord himself. And who can argue? Who can argue with that reward? We have the Lord. He's given us himself. <laughs> so everyone should be content with that, right? Right. I hope. Amen. Well, in this section, we're told something a little bit further, and um, it, 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 the Lord takes advantage of a request of a mother who comes to him and inadvertently asks a, a very important question, one that really needed clarification, because she wished her sons to be uh, distinguished. Well, what mother honestly doesn't want that for her children, right? We, we see photos of our children graduating with honors, and we're pleased, and we celebrate those that are that do well in school and, and in, their, in their professions, we, we celebrate them. But Jesus takes that occasion to teach us something about greatness. And let's see what this is. The teaching that uh, you should take home this, this morning, if you boil it all down, is this. That true greatness uh, consists in serving God. And uh, God the Father will reward selfless, loving service uh, to Christ and others in his kingdom uh, in various degrees. Yeah, true greatness is in serving, not in being served. That's very important. It's tantamount to that saying, it's better to give than to receive, which is on everyone's lips, I hope, this, this season. True greatness consists in serving God the Father, will reward selfless, loving service in Christ and others in his kingdom in two various degrees. And of course, from the, from the earlier parable, we know that those degrees uh, are up for, to God, who is the judge of all things to determine, uh, and, and it's up to him to, who gives the grace and, and is prepared to reward from the foundation of the earth. And this is a, a fairly lengthy sermon, so I'm going to skip through it very quickly. And if you need um, extra help with it, then uh, you can obtain the outline or just see me afterwards. The first point is this, that, that Christ's kingdom... Uh, features differences in greatness. Christ's kingdom features differences in greatness. That is to say, as God judges it. Not only, not, not, not as it appears to us alone. Uh, for we creatures, uh, we, see great, we see varying degrees of, of knowledge in our teachers. And we have our, our, favorite, our favorite professors in seminary and favorite writers. So we discern some, some differences. Well, what does God think about all this? Well, in Christ's kingdom, this, these differences are, are, are featured. Christ Jesus, of course, has the complete preeminence. He is the first and he is the last. He is the head of the church. He is the, the king of angels, the king of saints. And, uh, but greatness in the kingdom is recognized uh, not by attainment necessarily and not by uh, measures that would normally be um, construed among, among us in this life, but greatness in the kingdom uh, is connoted by proximity to Jesus. Well, that's by analogy, of course. It's a kind of a picture, but it's a picture that Jesus wants us to understand. That those who are closest to him enjoy this status and this distinction. Okay, it's positional, at least in the way that Jesus is framed this teaching. Greatness in the kingdom is recognized by proximity, by nearness to Jesus. Spiritual proximity today, whatever we might think this, the rewards will be after the, the, the day of judgment, today we can certainly say that no one can get closer to Jesus physically because Jesus is ascended at the right hand of the Father. And so today the application of, and, the, and the understanding of this would be that the proximity would be one of spiritual proximity proximity or, or closeness and kinness to Jesus and his character and doing his will and his understanding and his love, his charity. It's like that. Greatness in the kingdom is recognized by proximity or, or nearness to Jesus. Somehow, a physical proximity may play a part. I, I, it's somewhat speculative because it's, it's very difficult. It's, very, it's more difficult than you might imagine to draw a strict corresponding, uh, correspondence between the age to come and this current age. So we can only talk about 
an analogous terms, similarities. But somehow Jesus fits this in. Uh, physical proximity, talking about positions to the left and to the right of Jesus in the throne. That's how he, that's how he frames it. Jesus affirms these positions of greatness. He doesn't say, no, what are you talking about? The, the, I don't know, which rabbi told you that there'll be a left and a right to my throne? No, he, he didn't correct her. He assumes that, that she's right on, and so he receives that conversation and develops it. Uh, Jesus affirms then that these are, there are positions of greatness. Now, as I already mentioned, all saints enjoy uh, greatness in the kingdom. We, we Already in the visible church, uh, the saints are distinguished as being a commonwealth of prophets, priests, and kings. We have, given, uh, we have been given a degree of dominion. We have been uh, given a degree of knowledge of prophecy. And by our intercessions for one another, uh, then we pose uh, as priests one another. And this is an exalted position. Even if we just had one office today, this would be uh, not only a privilege, but a, a, a great distinction of position. And so every saint, every saint, every Christian enjoys greatness in the kingdom merely by being baptized. In other words, just the fact that the Lord, the King, has set his name and sign and seal on you uh, must not be discarded. You are distinguished from the rest of the world. And you bear his name. And he takes special care of you. Already there is a, a distinction between all Christians and the world. And we enjoy some degree of greatness, although the world does not recognize us. I mean, the very few headlines in any newspaper, even in the most Christian nation, will, uh, will speak about the, uh, the, the great and laudable deeds of, of the saints and their sacrifice as they go on the mission field and as they uh, serve one another at home and teach their children. And yet those acts, those acts are greatly esteemed by God and they all have their reward. All saints enjoy this greatness. But Jesus mentions this thing about are you able then to be baptized and drink this cup, the cup of my sufferings, the cup of my service. Are you really going? Are you really able to do this? Some will be baptized in water, and not a few will be baptized literally in blood. And we saw that uh, in the early church, every one of Jesus' disciples, well, Judas defaulted, of course, but every one of his disciples going forward as apostles were eventually martyred, killed except for John. And, but we are all baptized in the blood of Jesus by virtue of our spiritual baptism in the Holy Spirit, but that's a doctrine that, really, let's not get that too far into this. It's, all, it's, it's because we have a great deal in common um, already. And Jesus affirms that these disciples uh, indeed will take the cup and follow and be distinguished. But as to their position... He holds off. In various degrees, some pay the ultimate price, being killed as a, as a, as a witness uh, for the truth. You know that since the beginning, there has been war between the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And that antagonism and that hatred was seen in, in Jacob and Esau, even in the womb of their mother. And, and so we see that antagonism later on played out as we go march through the series in Exodus uh, Sunday evenings where those tribes, even though they were the descendants of Esau, they begin warring, Amalek wars against Israel, and, uh, and the Midian will later war, and others, others will war against Israel because there is an enmity. There, there is an enmity. But the, God's people maintain their witness. And so, my friends, all saints should take heed here and understand that Christ's kingdom features differences and we should all desire kingdom greatness for ourselves. It is, not, it is not selfishness. The Lord, in distinguishing this and us uh, from one another, and even his angels have different kinds of, of magnitude, uh, of span of dominion and, and strength uh, and luminescence. I, I don't know what those angels are like, but here we have it. We should desire this because all do share truly in Jesus' glory because of our union with him in baptism. And not only water. I'm speaking now of that union that is 
uh, most powerful and abiding, the union in the Holy Spirit. And this greatness consists of Christ-likeness in service, in self-sacrifice, in self-abasement, in humility, and holiness. And so, of course, to despise or reject Christ-likeness in any Christian, to, to, to despise and, and not be uh, humble and not to follow service as something maybe uh, legalistic or not, not really in the interest of the saint uh, is, is ignorance and needs to be corrected. All saints should desire this kingdom greatness. And I think this is why Jesus is teaching this. We, we ought, to, ought to run, says Paul, to win the race, not merely just to uh, enjoy a, a, a run with others. Run us to win. The second point, though, is that God the Father distinguishes degrees of greatness uh, as he alone wills. It's up to the Father. Uh, of course, the Father, in one sense, leaves all judging to the Son. But here, the Son is not judging yet, and he would uh, defer to the Father in this case because he is still serving the will of his Father in heaven as he is the servant of the Lord and the servant of Israel. And he leaves it up to God the Father. The Son of Man, as Jesus, as, as the man Jesus, in the gospel, in the flesh, is, is subordinate to the will of his heavenly Father. And sometimes you will see that he uh, shows forth, his divinity shines forth gloriously, and, and you can see his deity very nicely. Other times he backs off and, uh, and he appears to be uh, a man, a, a regular man. And so, but so that Jesus is subordinate, he's leaving this final judgment of greatness in the hands of the Father. God the Father then will, will be the one to acknowledge uh, you. He will be the one to acquit you of your sins, even though they, you have sinned mightily. His uh, mercy is abundant to all who believe, uh, who are adopted into his family through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's, he's quick to forgive. He's happy to forgive. He will acquit you of every, every sin, uh, even if it's brought up uh, that the, you did thus and thus and thus. He will cover it again in his blood, and you will be acquitted, and you will be rewarded as his servants. Now, this is not a reward of merit, strictly. It's not absolutely of merit at all. Because if he were to count us on merit, we would have zero standing. If he were to tell us his complete will, as he, is, as he has in the Bible, uh, if we had done it all, uh, then we only did what was required of servants. Uh, we should not expect uh, great wages or a bonus or, or certainly not adoption into the family of, of, the, of God. Uh, who would think that that would be equitable? That's not even equitable on our scales. No, but he does adopt us and he does uh, reward us, but all because he is gracious. And uh, he, know, he wants us to know that we... Uh, as we have delighted to do his will, he delights in rewarding us. It is a, it, it is a gracious judgment, not, not strictly based on merit. Now, this mother's prayer uh, uh, needs some refinement. I said that her intentions were, were good, I think. They were loving. They were, I don't, I don't know. I can't read her heart, but, uh, uh, but uh, she may pray. The Lord Jesus is not saying, oh, Hold on a second. I, I, I've told you to pray. I've told you. I've taught you how to pray. So, where in the Lord's prayer do you see this conniving going on between who's going to sit on left and right? I mean, no, He doesn't say that. He, he prayer is a is a lifting up our desires unto good unto God. Uh, as long as it's conformable to His will, and in the name of Christ, uh, we seeking His glory, then we can pray all that we want. And so we will cast our desires. And this mother's desire was for her son's good, even above her own good. Isn't that what mothers do? But she must wait. She must await God the Father's will and appointment. This is something that will be revealed in the last day. And she is by faith uh, not to quit praying, but she is to wait on the Lord who is the judge of all the world, and he will certainly do rightly. Jesus himself, the king, uh, awaited the father's appointment for these subordinate positions. And certainly if Jesus, who is the prophet of Israel, does not yet know, then no other human is going to know. 
And if they did know, it would be through the spirit of Jesus. And so, of course, we wait on Jesus to reveal all things uh, to us and to the church. God the Father distinguishes degrees of greatness as he alone wills. And Jesus again teaches that full consecration to God is the standard for greatness in the kingdom. He speaks of losing oneself altogether. The cup, which is an emblem of of God's, as it were, judgment, actually. Uh, The bitter cup uh, of chastening, the bitter cup falling uh, of suffering. And, uh, And so he speaks of that. And, and that, that is going to be indeed the case of these apostles as they gain in holiness and as they gain in um, hearers and following, they are going to uh, draw to them the, the wrath and the ire and the hatred of the world. Yes, the, the seed of the serpent is, is alive and active and it will bite or try to assail the sons of the woman, the free woman. All right? So... Full consecration to God is the standard for greatness in the kingdom. The calling, of course, to every disciple, to every believer, is not just believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Now, that's great. That's a, uh, I mean, that's, that's an entrance to all the inheritance. But it is also uh, the commandment and the duty to follow him in all things as Lord, the narrow gate, to uh, bear his cross, that's what the cup refers to. The cup refers to that which God has given Jesus to do, and he must take up the will, uh, delightfully, willingly, cheerfully, and the disciples will do this. They will bear the cross of Christ. My friends, this is not something for extraordinary saints. This is not just some, a teaching that is applying to Christ's disciples. He spent three years teaching them, and they spent three years living with him and, and listening to him, watching him. This uh, duty of following Christ with all that we have to love God with all our heart, all our soul, our strength, all our mind, and to take up his cross, that is Every Christian's reasonable service. It's reasonable because God is to be adored beyond all. Otherwise, how can we say that he's our God? If he's not our supreme good, then he's not our God. God is not something, uh, an abstract idea. Uh, God is, is the overwhelming uh, creator and, and, and lover of our souls and the benefactor of our, of our souls and lives. And so we owe him everything, and we sense that. We sense it out of gratitude, and so that's why we, we follow. It is a reasonable service, says Paul in Romans 12, that we offer ourselves completely. Now, some denominations have even made this a, a second work of grace, thinking that when you do that, you abandon yourself to the Lord. He does something else. It's a second work of grace, and then you're relieved from all sin within and no sin without. And you are now walking perfectly with the Lord. Well, I will say that you, you do walk with a whole heart to God. And that is expressive of your full consecration. But you haven't done anything extraordinary. This is all that's required of you. And if you're not doing this, then my friends, you have to check who, what, who and what are you serving? Are you still serving yourself? Are you serving in the church for some other reason other than to please God and to help your other brothers? Uh, even the action itself is not what is important before God. It is the love of the heart and the intent of the heart. Again, the mother's request here to the others, to the other disciples, seemed wicked. They were indignant. What in the world? But her heart was pure, you see. So Jesus took it up and didn't rebuke her, just, you know, corrected her thoughts. It is every Christian's reasonable service to follow Christ, to take up the cup, to take up, if necessary, literally, to be his witness unto death, literally, if that's what it, what it takes. And to be less than that is to admit some other God. And by definition, my friends, that is what idolatry is. That's why the first command, a commandment is there, idolatry. Our kingdom inheritance, my friends, is also taught here that it is from eternity, that there are these positions. And the scripture here is Jesus has us to know that is, uh, those positions have already been prepared by my Father. 
Which is to say, and I'll remind you, that we creatures are, are only that which God makes us. And we are nothing else but what God makes us. We, we are clay. He forms us into vessels. We are nothing more than that vessel that God creates. And if he creates us lovely and useful, well, that's God's glory. We're the clay. We're, we're in his hands. But not all mankind is, is made for glory. Some vessels are, are for glory and display. Others are, are for, for less useful purposes. And they, they're not even in the house. Some of them are for dirty work. But God is the one who determines all of these things in the great span of whom God loves the most and whom God detests. Yes, detests the wicked the most. Our kingdom inheritance is all from eternity. God has decreed all things, all his works from the foundations of the world. He knows them well. He knows all his works from the foundation of the world. And so therefore he knows all of his works even at judgment day and beyond judgment day into all eternity. All of those works are also known by God. And all of that inheritance he has already apportioned certainly for those that love him and those that uh, have believed on the Lord Jesus, his greatest servant, his really only true, true servant. God the Father then distinguishes degrees of greatness as he alone wills. And the final point here is this. That greatness in Christ's kingdom consists of selfless service to God and others. I've already mentioned it. I'll go through here very quickly. Uh, in this passage, the Lord Jesus makes it explicit that the greatness of this kingdom of his is opposite, is in contrast to what the world thinks uh, of greatness. Uh, he says the Gentiles, that is to say the nations that are not in covenant with God as Israel is, they don't have the benefit of uh, of the covenant of grace. They, they do not have uh, the scriptures. They don't have the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God for salvation. They don't have any of these things. And so uh, what they are left with is their fallen nature, which in Adam is one of, uh, of concupiscence, which is of, of inordinate desires and selfish desires and an appetite for sin and self-exaltation. Uh, well, they've become sons of Satan because Satan is the one that challenged the thesis of God in heaven. And uh, he wanted to assume some kind of greatness. And by his pride, uh, he deceived himself somehow. It's a mystery about how that origin of evil ever came about. But in Lucifer, it certainly did. That angel fell. And all of those who fell with uh, Satan's temptation and deception of Eve, and how the way he tripped up Adam as well. All who fell in Adam have that nature, and that nature is very much like their father Satan's. It's for exaltation. It's all self, self-esteem. And, and the people who are in the flesh, when they're crossed, they really don't like it. If you mention the Christian doctrine of self-abasement and service to others and, and humility, uh, to a, a, a pagan mind, a, one, a man who's in the flesh, a fallen, saint, a fallen son of Satan, a fallen son of, of Adam, but not born again, he is going to loathe this doctrine. He is, he is going to consider that is in no way a great life. And so when you tell them the story of Jesus, they will say, I don't know how you Christians can think that this religion of yours is so good because look what God did to his own son. Look at the way his son suffered and was maligned and was uh, marginalized. Well, my friends, that's not the end of the story. Uh, from the readings even this morning, Philippians 2. Yes, he, he humbled himself to the dust, but that was because God then raised him and exalted him and vindicated his servant, the Lord Jesus. And he and he now sits at his right hand, the Father's right hand, so that we know his true nature. But what he did was he absolutely would not assume the role of wickedness of the fallen sons of Adam, that their glory is in their shame. Their glory that they call liberty is license. And that accounts for all of the lawlessness in our, in our world today. 
Even Christians won't. They, the, the, the cross is not apparent to them except if it's for the benefits of the cross. Now, who doesn't crave forgiveness? Who doesn't crave to be received and loved? But my friends, if God has so loved us in this way, we ought to love one another and receive one another. And that's not often preached. That needs to be preached because that is the way of the Christian. This way is opposite of the world's greatness. This is the way of the Gentiles, lording it over people. Come, you know, Climbing up their organization is not bad, but you've got to check your intentions. I'm not saying you can't be a CEO or CFO or whatever O you want. There are all kinds of O's. But you better check to see if you're doing it for the glory of God and the good of others. It's never enough that you're doing it for the good of your children. No. You must glorify God in all things. What you see in the Gentile world is men posing as gods. But Jesus, who is God, never took that posture. It's a tyrannical rule by the Gentiles rather than a gracious rule. Our Lord's rule is, is of loving kindness and mercy and compassion. He keeps justice. He remembers mercy. Not one act in human history has ever shown forth the complete wrath of God. He always remembers mercy even in wrath. His hand is stayed. And his, his displeasure of wrath is his strange work. It's not a common thing for God to lash out and to, and to uh, send pestilence and famine all manner of, of, of storm and ruination. But this ambition in, in, in the hearts of fallen men, this greed for power, this love of money, that was every bit in Israel at that time. The religious leaders, they were lovers of money, says the scriptures. They were eager for position. The Sadducees, they, bought, they bribed themselves into the position of the priesthood. They stole it from their legitimate heirs. That's very much against the kingdom and its principles. Prestige makes for greatness among the Gentiles. It opens doors. I, you wouldn't think, my friends, uh, of buying a great estate from, from a real estate agent that drove a junky old Volkswagen. So what, how can I trust this man? He doesn't, he's, he's certainly not well-to-do. And you judge him because he doesn't have the posture of somebody great. Christians then will become stumbling blocks if they do this. If you assume the modus operandi, if you work the way of the Gentiles and their ambitions, if this is expressed in, in your will in the church, then you will become a stumbling block in the kingdom because the saints are, looking, are seeking Jesus, the humble servant king. And especially if you're a leadership, if you, serve, if you, if you show this, then... It's bound to confuse the sheep. It's bound to uh, express itself in great trouble in the church, stumbling blocks. And of course, this is what we saw here in their immediate reaction. When the mother expressed her will to Jesus, what, what happened immediately? They saw that as a stumbling block. There was friction. There was factions. They were indignant. That's a great word. It means that they were righteously upset, you know, like, hmm. And scoffed, what are you talking about? How, how dare these two? Well, of course, <laughs> in their nature, they had the same ambition. Uh, we sometimes are indignant at things that we're guilty of ourselves. Remember, I used to have a, a, a priest in, growing up in the Catholic Church. He always, Father Lachary, says, remember when you point a finger, there's three other fingers pointing back at you. I think that's a, a fair ratio to apply. Be very careful. The ten became indignant at the mother's uh, request. But the ten also were guilty of the same ambition, as all of us are. What I'm saying to you is, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, this drive, this desire, even though you may not sense it's very inordinate, but uh, this, this compulsion is bent uh, to have everything your way. If you don't sense that, then you need to review the teaching of the tenth commandment of God's law, the moral law. Because that commandment is operative not only in external acts, but the very movements of the heart, which are expressive of our fallen nature, which as Reformed Christians we know still abides in us. Oh yes, it's mortified in the spirit, but that's a constant 
uh, action of the Spirit, applying the death of Christ to us every moment so that otherwise, if that fallen nature, that sinful nature gains the ascendancy, we would not be distinguished at all from the Gentiles. Look at what murderous and, and, and absolutely pernicious things David did, the king, with Bathsheba and her husband. We're capable of that. And that, my friends, need to be watched. And that needs to be confessed. And th but only the Lord in his spirit can mortify that, so you should be praying to check that kind of ambition and desire. My friends, already we see in, the, in this question by the, this asking by the mother and the reaction of the disciples, a fracture, a, 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 a potential fissure in the church, which Jesus checks right away. Because any kingdom that's divided against itself, it will not endure. And so when you're baptized, you are asked to vow to, to keep unity, to keep peace, to keep purity. Otherwise, there's just no going forward in the kingdom. Greatness in Christ's kingdom consists of selfless service to God and others. It, it consists in resembling Jesus and his kingdom purpose, the advancement of his kingdom, uh, and his, his methods for advancing the kingdom, to do it in his way. Uh, his uh, his character uh, and his his love, I, I would say the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ too. Also, the doctrines that he uh, that he held, the 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 truth that he taught, all of this is resembling Jesus. Uh, in broad categories, it's it's faith that is to say what we are to believe, hope what are, we are to pray for and anticipate, and love that is to say obedience uh, to God the first four commandments of the, of the ten, and uh, love to God and love to neighbor, the, the, the bottom six. We are to be resembling Jesus in all of these things, especially in serving others and prom promoting their true welfare, uh, not as man-pleasers, but again, really, as Jesus, keeping the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, keeping the teaching, not as pleasing men, not as compromising, no, we're not, we're not here to be nice people, although we can be holy and nice, but we can be nice and very ungodly. And so we have to watch that. It must be done serving others in the will of God. Your elders, when you elect elders, they are your leaders, and they will serve you. But they will only serve you for your good. They will not serve you according to your whim, nor will they serve you contrary to the will of God. If they ever do, then the Lord will visit them, and it's not a pleasant thing. Greatness in Christ's kingdom consists in selfless service to God and others, offering up one's life to God out of love. Not that we might be saved, but out of gratefulness, out of thankfulness that we are saved, that we have an inheritance prepared for us from the foundation of the world, that God has given so much thought to us, that he's already got our room there painted. He knows our favorite color. Uh, you know, you like light blue, it's light blue. What do you like, flowers in a vase? Okay, that's yours, whatever. He knows us. He's the one that puts holy desires in our heart. But, the, but as I say, our maximum reward is not any, anything physical. It's the Lord himself. His friendship, his, his presence, his, his, his very being. So we offer our lives to God in the Spirit, which is a spiritual service. And all the service in the Spirit does engender meekness. It, it, it engenders uh, gentleness and patience, good order uh, in the church, submission to authority. Jesus has not given up any of these things. And there's no law that is against any of these things. God will never condemn any of these things, meekness, gentleness, Patience, good order in the church, submission to authority. No. And your motives for the glory of God and the good of others. And that sums up the whole law of God. Love God, love neighbor as yourself. And this is consistent with Jesus' kingdom mission as he's already <coughs> excuse me, been teaching as the Son of Man. A tremendous title, but one of, of humility, as we read in Philippians 2. Disciples will serve God through their exalted head. 
that's where we get the power. That's where we get the grace. That's, it's not a matter of us receiving instructions from Jesus and going forth and following them. It's that Jesus and the Holy Spirit actually is still teaching us through the Spirit and energizing us by His grace. You know, grace can be defined as the, the power of godliness, power of godliness to forgive sins, but also power of godliness to, to enact, uh, to mortify sin in our lives and, and to express righteousness, to follow Jesus in new, in new life. All right. We will exalt the Lord when we serve God the Father through his Son, the exalted head of the church in this kingdom. And then true Christian disciples certainly will resemble Jesus uh, to, to, in degrees in their desire for godly greatness. There is an appetite in Jesus to serve that he might please the Father. And uh, even at the Last Supper, he said, I have longed for this, ta this, ta this day that I might taste the cup. He, he was longing for it because it was for their benefit. It was absolutely necessary. And he knew it was the Father's will. And even as he agonized that in, in Gethsemane, he resolved to go through and do it. A most difficult sacrifice, a most costly sacrifice, but the most precious and the winning sacrifice of all on our behalf. Jesus died that we would not need to die for our sins. Jesus died as our substitute, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that, my friends, is the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is that one sacrifice, the Lamb of God provided by God that died in your place on the cross so that you would not need to die before God in your sins, then, my friends, you, you will be saved. That's your Passover Lamb. The Lord will pass over your sins and you're free to go from Egypt. You're on your way to Zion. True disciples then uh, will resemble Jesus in this desire. Uh, and this desire will be present now uh, in every Christian uh, and even at the day of judgment. And so, my friends, to the degree that we want to be great in the world, I, th I think we need to, to understand that God calls us to be in the world. And uh, we are to uh, have a good reputation with outsiders. And we are to be productive. And uh, if you're a Christian in a workplace, it doesn't, it's no sign that you're not a Christian if everybody likes you and thinks you're affable. No, that's not the issue. The, the divided line is when you get into things that distinguish the kingdom from the world. But in your character, even Jesus was loved at, at Nazareth. They thought he was a very fine Jewish boy until they started opening his mouth about prophecy and fulfillment, and then he wanted to throw him over the cliff. That's the way it goes. That's, that's the way it goes. You're a lightning rod once you start pressing for, uh, the nose cone of the kingdom forward into the world. Otherwise, you can, you can abide peacefully. You can abide peacefully. But uh, So there may be some desire to get ahead, to do well. That's you know, before the Lord. Bring that up. Make sure that, that the Lord purges you from all selfishness there. But, but that's, that can be good. But there's a great distinction between greatness in the world and greatness in the kingdom. And the bottom line is that what is highly esteemed among men, that which makes the annals of, of mankind universally, and I'm not talking about Christian nations, they have different tastes. If there are any Christian nations left, I don't know. A Christian nation may, may well exalt a very godly man and think highly of him. But most of the Gentiles that are not seated with the light of God's gospel and not assaulted with his truth, uh, they will not think a Christian great in this world. They, would rather, they will rather pity the Christian because he has given his, his life for a cause that they, it's, they, don't, even, they don't understand it. But, and, and the little that they do understand, they detest because everything in their fallen nature would have them gain the ascent to greatness as Lucifer would. But your greatness and ascent is in the way of Christ. And so keep that in mind. What is highly esteemed among men in the world is an abomination to God. If you live for the applause of men, be very careful. Fear God. The conclusion here is true greatness then consists in serving God 
God the Father will certainly reward selfless, loving service to Christ and others in His kingdom to their various degrees of greatness. The first thing we need to see, my friends, if we're going to attain greatness, is the greatness of our Lord Jesus. That's the first thing we need to see. Because if we're not growing in that dimension and in that direction, that we're not, we're not growing at all in greatness, we're going backwards. We are lapsing. We're actually making a more corrupt, a corrupt image of God in ourselves. And, uh, but all the source of all kingdom greatness is in Christ as he gives us his Holy Spirit. And he gives us his word, and so we have to be attentive to the word. We should be eager to study the word and to memorize the word and let the word of God dwell richly in us. And that spirit will take that word and illuminate it and will cause it to be powerful in us. And his word will not return void. It will certainly accomplish what he has sent it to do. And what he has accomplished is a degree of greatness of every believer in Christ. Now you can thank God for Jesus' gracious work of redemption and his current reign. You see that he, because he was a servant, he took that cup of suffering and he did go to the cross. And that, my friends, should have Jesus uh, in your eyes be the greatest hero ever, the greatest man ever. And if you think that's an absurd thing to say, and you think, well, that's great in the field of religion, but the greatest man in the world has to be somebody else than Jesus. No, the greatest man in the world ever, ever is the Lord Jesus, because he is the only man. He is the man. And we should aspire to be men and women in Christ. Thank God for Jesus' gracious work of redemption. Praise God that he has reserved a degree of honor and greatness for you. It seems impossible. We know that he will acquit us. That is to say, he will say no. All of those charges, yes, he did verily sin. Yes, I know he made a mess of his life. But he took the atonement. He received Christ. He, he's under the covenant. He's pardoned. I can't see any guilt in him. He's free to go. That's what it means to be acquitted. And that's pretty good. You say, wow, uh, man, the Lord sure has been gracious with me. But it's far, far better than that, my friends. Far, far better than that. He's going to take you and he's going to embrace you as a, as a precious jewel. And he's going to distinguish you and put you in his bonnet as a diadem. And he's going to show you off to angels that will be so perplexed. How in the world did this piece of dust fallen and corrupt in Adam, get to be more shining and more lofty and more exalted than any of us. Yes, we will outshine the brightest angels to the, to the great rebuke of those that followed Satan and left their first estate. You praise God that he will take you up as more than a friend and will distinguish you in the halls of heaven. So my friends, you need to run the Christian race, not at a casual pace. You need to get warmed up, and then you need to go all out. I think some of you here know what it means to go all out. You need to pump those arms. You need to raise those knees. You need to dig in. You need to sharpen your spikes and get good traction. And you need to run straight and keep in your lanes. So as you not be disqualified, run the Christian race to win. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can count on one finger the number of blue ribbons that I've won in my life. I always got second, third place. I was trying to win. But I had no certainty of winning because we, we faced some pretty good teams. My friends, here we have certainty. You have a certainty of winning. So you just dig in and you run. And don't let any weight of sin get in you, uh, encumber you. Remember your baptism vows. You promised war. All out. No prisoners. War against the world and the flesh and Satan. You are a soldier. And you will battle on. Mortify the flesh. Pride especially. Pride, the mother sin. Unbelief, another mother. Kill those things in the spirit by the death of Christ. 
Jealousy, envy, rivalry, yes. These are foreign enemies. These are intruders in the church, and they must leave. Chase them out in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But start with your own heart. Remember the kingdom's mission. Remember its purpose in the world. Don't confuse it. Don't commingle the kingdoms. Keep it according to the word. Remember what happens when Christians compromise. Look what happened in the Roman Catholic Church. The Pope became first. Don't follow Alexander the Great or Caesar, Napoleon. All these men thought they were something. In the end, God will determine what they really are. But it all starts with receiving the Lord Jesus as he is. To see his love for sinners. To see him becoming lower than the least. Jesus became more humble than the humblest. Meaner than the, the least of all servants. That he might lift off all onto the Lord. If you love this servant, Jesus, if you love this kind of king, if you yearn for this kind of kingdom, my friends, that's good. That's good evidence that you are a Christian, even though you can't perform as the servant of God. For we in the spirit by faith only wait for the hope of righteousness. We're not, we're not doing all these things to the degree we will in heaven. But my friends, we're on our way with the spirit. If you love this, it's proof that God is in you, that you are following the Lord Jesus. But you need to be thankful. You need, you need to give him praise and honor that it's he that is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because all these things are prepared. All these works are prepared from the foundations of the world that you should walk, you should walk in them. And certainly as you walk in them, you will receive the reward accompanying all that God has determined for you. You are God's creature in Christ, made anew, no longer merely a fallen son of Adam. You are now in Christ, in his kingdom, and you are already, to a great degree, great. You can thank the Lord for that. Let's pray. Lord, there's much here that would condemn us, and but yet there's... <laughs> much here that would absolutely build us up and cause us great joy. The thought of you even acquitting our sins, the thought of you rejoicing and dancing over your people because we're yours. The thought that, Lord, we are your people, your bride, and you will adorn us and rejoice over us. This is wonderful. We praise you then, Lord, for all that you do, all that you are to us. Grant us your spirit and you. Grant us to understand your word and your will. And grant us, Lord, to bear much service, much humble and difficult service as those who are certain of receiving the Lord's smile and reward. We thank you for your graciousness in Jesus. Amen. Let's have an offering, please.